0: welcome to this edition of on politics glad you are joining us today and i want to get right into our topic uh, for uh, this show today which is political culture looking at political culture in texas and really talking about how This influences the way that we see specific issues, events, people in politics. This is critical for us to understand when we engage with government and politics uh, because political culture is what shapes Uh, how we see the world. It shapes how we understand uh, what is going on around us. It shapes our our values, what we think is important, and government engages with that on a number of different levels as it addresses critical issues, as it structures our lives in different ways in order to uh, provide safety, to provide order through the use of laws, and so I think this is a very important topic for us to have some background uh, in order to understand how political Culture has developed in this state, and then how it impacts each and every one of us. Uh, We all go through what we will get to and call a Process of political socialization. Uh, that's that's a big word, as I say in my classes, that that means a lot. It's really packed in terms of the facets of it and how that influences the way that we engage with political issues. So again, welcome to the show today. As you know, we broadcast right here on KTRL 90.5 FM on Sundays at noon. You can also listen to us streaming live at tarletonradio.com. And of course, after the show, uh, listen on SoundCloud. That's On Politics with Eric Morrow, uh, as well as you can download as a podcast wherever you get your podcast. So political culture. Uh, a packed word in and of itself. Uh, We're putting two words, politics and culture together, but that's what we do on this show is talk about politics. And so let's talk a little bit about this. And I wanna do it by looking back at the pandemic of 2020 and how government, especially government in Texas, engaged with it. We saw on multiple levels, local, state, federal levels, how government engaged with this as the pandemic developed, but here in Texas, and, and you may uh, you know, remember from a, a previous show where I went through the uh, executive orders and, and how the governor responded to it and so on. Uh, but, but looking back in that and looking back at in March of 2020 where all this begins and then how it develops throughout the year, uh, this is really a good example of the impact of political culture. Let's give it a little bit of context here so that you can understand where we're going, and then we'll we'll go back in history a little bit to talk about how this political culture has developed. The governor responded in different ways. Uh, Some of those ways were to close down uh, different businesses, to uh, restrict travel, uh, to uh, uh, do a number of things that tried to limit the early impact uh, of the uh, spread of COVID-19. And those executive orders, which he claimed in his power to address uh, natural disasters and and things that threaten the safety of the people of Texas, that he had this authority to do this. And, And that was not really questioned legally as much as it was by people and their response to it. Uh, there there was some initial pushback but it really began to ramp up when there was the economic impact the economic impact being that closing businesses uh, re- restricting things in the in the way that it was done uh, really limited what people were doing spending of course then we had unemployment going up. So all of this began to show effects early on. And so the the transition was to begin to try to open the state back up. So if you think back on this and remember from April into May, uh, there were these attempts to start to open businesses back up to allow different venues to have uh, uh, activities and events uh, to get the economy moving back in the right direction. Of course, All of that happened during a time when the number of cases and deaths continued to rise in the state of Texas and eventually led to the governor issuing an executive order uh, by the the late in the summer uh, that uh, asked for people to wear masks. Now, Looking back on all of this and seeing how things developed over the year and and, and additional challenges that developed, we really want to focus in on the response to what the governor was trying to do at that time. And that response is a reflection of political culture in this state. One aspect of that is really a skepticism about the use of the power of government. Uh, Not just state, federal, uh, international influence. This has always been a part of the political culture of Texas. And that goes hand in hand with a focus both on individual freedom, uh, to be able to choose how you live your life, the way you live it. Without undue influence of government, as well as economic freedom, how you spend your money—that uh, government should have as small a smaller portion of that as possible to uh, to do and to provide the services that government does. So in, in all of this and what happened, people began to push back because they saw challenges to economic freedom, challenges to individual freedom, uh, that going with that skepticism about government and its ability to engage with this or to, or to really provide a, a plan or a way through this, uh, that, that people were not as trusting in government to be the answer, to be the solution uh, to the pandemic. Now, all, all of this happened in, in an environment that is not just recent. I mean, this is developed in the state uh, throughout its history, and it really, a lot of it goes way back uh, to the settling of the state, uh, to a time when people came to Texas uh, for very different reasons. So we're going to get into that a little bit, but I want to give you some some kind of concepts uh, in order to to understand that and to address that and also to emphasize here why political culture is so important. Uh, As I gave you in the example about the response to the pandemic and the actions of government, uh, political culture is kind of that that environment, we could say, that environment uh, in which uh, uh, decisions are made by elected leaders uh, within a society or community and in that, in those societies or in those communities or among the people, there exists notions about the purpose and role of government. What is government there to do? What is its responsibility? What are the limits of that responsibility? There are also concerns about current issues. Again, what is the role of government? And what are those limits on what government should or should not do? And then of course, in that environment are also opinions about how current issues and related challenges can be addressed and resolved. Now, we already know, first part of this, that much of what government does is shaped by the responsibilities given to government through the Constitution. That's that's really the structure, but of course we're talking about, especially for Texas, a very large document uh, that while it does limit government in many ways, uh, we'll talk more about that later, It also provides the the powers, the specific powers to government as as well as what's left to the citizens and their rights and responsibilities. So this is a part of that, what we call political culture, government structured by a constitution, but also the people and their engagement with government uh, through their notions about what government is there to do. Uh, and the role that government has, the limitations government has on addressing and resolving uh, contemporary challenges. Now, when we look at political culture as a an environment, okay, let's think of it that way, because culture is really this very broad term, but we're we're talking about really the political environment in which governance and politics happen. Uh, it is in this in, environment that we're going to find various views about government. And not everybody is going to see it in the same way. In a, in a state as large as Texas and as diverse as Texas, uh, this is very true, very diverse views about the role of government. We see that in elections. We see that in political parties. Uh, we see that in the different uh, political ideologies uh, that, are, that come out when we have current issues and we talk about the role of government in addressing those issues. Uh, They're very prevalent and and different among those who live in rural areas compared to those who live in urban areas uh, for the most part. And so what we see in an environment, in, in, in this political environment, is then what we call political conflict, right? We don't agree. We don't agree necessarily on specific issues. We are approaching those issues from different backgrounds and different perspectives and different notions about government attempting to resolve them. Where we do agree, uh, we, at least where most people do, and, and where we should raise some concern if we, we lose this aspect of it, is that we live together under the rule of law. And so by our Constitution, we have set a process in which to resolve our differences. So when we have political conflict, we have agreed to resolve those through the process of of governance, of the legislature reviewing these issues and proposing various solutions through the legislative process and attempting to resolve those issues. And knowing that that's not always the end of it, that's not the end of the policymaking process, that uh, a legislature can pass a a bill uh, into law, a governor can sign it. It can go into effect, but then it can even be challenged in the courts. It's analyzed, it's reviewed as it's implemented, and there could be additional adjustments that are needed uh, going forward uh, to to make it more effective, or perhaps there were unknown consequences, and those have to be addressed as well. So all of this is happening uh, within that environment, diversity, diverse views about government, Thus conflict, okay, not conflict in terms of, of, of violence and so on. We're talking about just disagreement and uh, different views about the role of government in addressing specific issues. In this environment is also, and in, in something that is very uh, important part of culture is language. The language that people use when they talk about government, politics, and policy. This reflects political culture. It reflects that diversity that is there as well. Another aspect of this is directly related to politics. A, a very important aspect of people being successful in politics is understanding the political culture and how to use that political culture to achieve the political and policy outcomes that they want. This culture, this language, this environment, Shapes the debate between competing interests in a society, through and this is shown through elections, through policymaking, and so all of this reveals much about a political culture. Now, let's let's talk about trying to understand political culture itself, and let's get into a few more specifics. Uh, I go back to something that I, I use when I teach this in Texas government classes, and that is. How, do, how can we broadly define and understand political culture and look at characteristics uh, of the culture, specifically here in Texas? And so many political scientists and those who teach government at the federal and state level, uh, go back to the work of David Elazar, who wrote an influential work on American political life, and he defined political culture as the shared values and beliefs about the nature of the political world, which provide a common language to discuss and debate ideas. So let me repeat that, and and I want you to focus and remember these terms, shared values and beliefs. So political culture is the shared values and beliefs about the nature of the political world, which provide a common language to discuss and debate ideas. So in doing this, he identified categories or what we would call subcultures of political culture uh, that help us understand the origins of political culture in Texas. Uh, More specifically, these are elements that have had the most influence in shaping the notions that people in Texas have about government and politics. The first category or subculture that I want to point to is what we call the individualistic subculture. OK, so I, I know this is getting more along the lines here of, of what we would say would be a, a, a Texas government uh, lecture. Uh, but, but really, I see this is important because we're providing the background that we need, really the, the foundation that we need to engage in uh, politics and government in a meaningful way. Uh, so bear with me here with some of the terms and then we'll get into a little bit of history and, and talk about a few other facets of this as well. But the first category is what we call individualistic, uh, which is characterized by something I've already mentioned, a focus on individual freedom with government action primarily restricted to the economic realm. This was very critical for those early settlers in Texas, and then those who went through uh, the the conflict with Mexico that led to the founding of the Republic of Texas. And then we'll continue on throughout the history of the state and even to today, as we talked about with the response to government action during the pandemic, it's this focus on individual freedom with government action primarily restricted to the economic realm. This very dominant subculture in Texas came to us from those who migrated from the middle Atlantic states uh, early on when Texas was all about land grants, it was all about the impresarios who had the approval from the Spanish and then the Mexican government to bring settlers to Texas to populate the state. They came from these mid Atlantic states and their focus on government was that its role was limited to accommodating the private sector and facilitating economic growth and prosperity. So really government's role there is to grow the economy, to provide economic access, uh, to, pro- to promote economic benefits. And this is something we see very much alive and well in Texas today through what we do with uh, trying to uh, stimulate a very uh, robust economy, uh, trying to limit the cost in terms of taxes and and other areas on businesses on putting seed money into. Uh, research and business development, uh, the focus is very much on a, a, a growing and thriving economy, which we can say that this is one area where the state has been very successful for the most part. There's been its ups and downs, as we've seen uh, almost every decade. We have at least one major uh, one of these. But the, but the focus has been on that economic growth. And of course, in Texas, modern day Texas, We can see that this has been driven by population growth as well. And so where political culture comes into play here is this focus on individual freedom. Let individuals prosper. Let them uh, uh, strive for uh, what they want and what they want to do and have as much opportunity as possible without the burden of government. And again, that's a kind of a vague area as to explaining that, but it's really the focus is not on having an overbearing government uh, that is so uh, large, uh, that needs so many resources, uh, that it restricts the individual freedom and prosperity of the citizens of the state. Uh, It's also within this subculture that early on, uh, there was a, uh, a view that government should have very limited power, uh, that elected office was viewed more as, a, as professional advancement rather than a means to engage uh, with using government for policy solutions. That, that government, the idea here that government is not always there to solve every problem. Uh, that there's some policy or legislative answer or a a government action that should address uh, every issue or need within a society. Government being limited should leave that up to the individuals and up to communities uh, to work out those issues and work through them. And, And thus, we do see this in a lot of areas across Texas and major public policy areas. We do see limited engagement of government uh, in different areas, or it varies, I should say. That's that's the most the best way to put it. Moving on, so we've talked about an individualistic subculture. The next one was what we would call traditional. And This was identified by Lazar as traditional political culture, and this was originally brought uh, to North America uh, by those who settled in the southern colonies uh, of uh, uh, of what would become the United States. And this traditional subculture was a much older cultural pattern that was rooted in agrarian societies. So societies that were very much focused on farming and agriculture, Uh, these were societies that were led at the top by aristocrats, nobles, monarchs, and so forth. But it was very structured and orderly with those at the top having the most authority uh, having the, the most power and wealth, and of course, going all the way down uh, to the bottom of those that worked the land, uh, those that were indebted to others and thus owed not just what they developed in terms of farming, but also their labor. Uh, these societies were very what we call hierarchical, as I said, structured. And, and as this moved into the South, it fit very well in that economy and social structure uh, of the South because it then becomes your plantation owners and wealthy businessmen that have position and, and authority that extended all the way down from the immediate family to the youngest slave. Okay, So slavery was very much a part of this in North America. And thus you can see, again, very hierarchical, very focused on uh, uh, farming, on uh, the agrarian aspect here of uh, developing, uh, producing from the land and of course, wealth and resources coming from that. But it's really the the people who were in positions of power that benefit the most from that. Okay, So again, we said very traditional subculture that was brought to Texas by those who migrated from the South. Some of those uh, very uh, prominent families that came early on that brought with them uh, their entire plantation operations to try to set that up in a similar way in Texas with more land and more opportunity. Uh, in this subculture, though, uh, when you look at government and the role of government, the uh, Really, it it falls to those, the elite white males, those plantation owners uh, who were the ones who had the power and authority, and they were the ones in that called the shots. They're the ones that made the decisions that would then impact everyone else. And so the average person was not expected to participate in politics. Uh, The focus of government in this culture is to maintain the status quo that social and economic structures of society that benefit those in positions of wealth and authority uh, are, are the most are most important. And thus, that's what government does. It, 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 it moves very slowly. It, it's very limited in terms of its, its power because it doesn't really need to act in any way that would upset the way things are structured. So there, there's another subculture that that is important. I'm not going to spend much time on it because it's not had a significant impact in Texas, and that is the moralistic subculture that Elazar identified as a third category. Uh, This subculture was more prominent among those who migrated from New England to the Midwest and Northwest, and this had a much more communitarian focus, uh, included an emphasis on the community or commonwealth over the individual, that government was beneficial to society and the public interest, that all citizens should participate in politics, and that elected leaders should focus on issues that impact the common good. So here you see something that has a much more positive view of government, not not uh, over against the individual, but in working on behalf of the community and the common good. Now, there are elements of this in Texas political culture, uh, but they're very limited. And in terms of the influence and the development of what happens in the state, uh, it is uh, it's not as significant as the other two. Now, just turning here to a little bit of history uh, before we, we take a break, and then we'll move on to a, a few applications of this and talking about uh, other elements of political culture that, impor- that are important. But this dominance of, of the traditional and individualistic subcultures really shaped the early political culture of Texas through that Anglo immigration that began in about the 1820s and then really increased after the founding of the Republic in 1836. I mean, most of these early Anglo immigrants were from southern states, and so they brought with them these elements of a southern traditional culture and its plantation ethos, uh, a culture that supported slavery, a, a culture that perpetuated views, Uh, That that blacks and this of course will transfer to Hispanics eventually uh, uh, were an inferior race uh, because then they were seen as as having having to have a place and of course blacks already in coming to the state that were slaves uh, you had their place and that was at the bottom rungs of this hierarchical structure. These immigrants came and settled in East and Central Texas early on and encountered the challenges and dangers of frontier life, which somewhat disrupted that plantation ethos. It made it A little bit more difficult to reestablish what they had in the southern states in Texas, because there were these ongoing conflicts with Native Americans. Uh, There were conflicts early on, if you know the story of the history of Texas with the Mexican government, which actually continued the Spanish opposition to slavery. There were concerns with the Mexican government uh, over the growing immigrant population and how to how to address uh, that, which of course then will lead to the conflict between um, uh, Mexican troops and these Anglo settlers that will result in Texas independence. So all of this shaped political culture, and it was shaped even more uh, by that uh, the 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 battle for independence, that struggle. and this conflict with Mexico reinforced even more uh, these notions about freedom, freedom from the authority of government or the power of government that it it should be limited because as they were trying to settle in this new land, as they were trying to uh, set up their lives and, and structure them in the way that they had uh, or to pursue opportunities that they had, this was seen as interference. And so the result was, and, and thus the support for gaining independence, uh, was to get government off their backs. Uh, because after they gained independence, most were not interested in setting up a new republic as much as returning to their farms and ranches uh, with little concern uh, about the, the, the role that government was had w- would have. This was even reinforced by additional waves of immigrants who came who were seeking land and opportunity. Uh, Anglo immigrants that, that brought to Texas this individualistic political culture with a focus on freedom to pursue opportunity and prosperity. These were people who came that had very little to begin with, and what they wanted was a piece of land and the opportunity to, to benefit from that land to be prosperous in terms of uh, whatever they did in terms of ranching or farming. And they saw that Texas was the place to make these ideals a reality. So what we saw early on was a mingling of a traditional uh, plantation subculture with this individualistic subculture that had very little need for government other than local needs for law and order and securing property, uh, and thus they contributed to the struggle to establish and support a government for the Republic of Texas, uh, and then eventually even supported annexation uh, with Texas joining the Union um, because of the ongoing conflict of the frontier and the challenges that were happening. But even in all of this, the the, the views about government – uh, did not really change. I mean, they carried with them these views of limited government in order to support individual freedom and prosperity, uh, and to on the other side, to maintain the status quo. Uh, in fact, in one, I like the way that is put by Cal Gilson in his book, Lone Star Tarnished. Uh, and what he says there are these elements that were established early on that are very still very visible today. And these are the following, quote, supporting the primacy of male social and economic elites. And, and I'll stop there to say, while we see more diversity in Texas politics and, and that diversity is growing, when you look back over the history of the state, you still see uh, what comes from that traditional subculture. And that is, Politics have been dominated by uh, white males, by those who are the social and economic elites. Uh, Again, this hierarchy, that that's the realm of politics. It's about maintaining uh, the status quo. So that element is still strongly there. If you look at the makeup of our legislature and the makeup of our uh, leadership in government, although, as I said, it's it's changing as we see more Hispanics in politics, as we see more diversity, as we see our urban areas uh, grow very rapidly. Uh, and Gilson also adds, so it's that that first characteristic, the second, personal autonomy and individual responsibility, which we've emphasized Small government and low taxes, okay, limiting that burden of government on the individual, and a deep suspicion of foreign, which foreign here means federal as well as international influence and authority. So suspicion about any type of intrusion uh, uh, or the, the the use of authority or power from international, which we see that in the development of uh, the state early on or becoming a republic, but also federal. And this will be a theme that continues to play out over the course of the state, the history of the the state, even into our current times where, and this is a topic maybe for another show, but where we see these, these constant things come up about annexation and secession that you look back on when Texas became a state and thus the conditions under which it became a state. You look at the context of secession in the Civil War uh, the, the, and what follows, and, and you have this story, this narrative that continues even to today uh, that supports many people's ideas about, hey, Texas could not only survive on its own, but it, it may come to a point where secession... Is necessary uh, in order for uh, Texas to remain Texas and to be free from, again, foreign influence, which, as Gilson points out, could be federal in addition to international influence. So these are some of the dominant elements of political culture in the state today. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about Texan identity and a little bit about political socialization, which is another important component here that is essential to understanding how we engage with government, politics, and policy. We'll be right back. Politics can be confusing, but On Politics with Eric Morrow has your back. Follow the show on Facebook. Search On Politics with Eric Morrow to stay up to date with the show and all the sources to follow right along. T for Texas is a Texas-based history podcast from historian, Dr. T. Lindsey Baker. Find a new episode every Thursday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to On Politics. I'm Dr. Eric Morrow at Tarleton State University. And our focus for this show is on political culture. And if you've been following along, we we really talked about the elements of political culture that have developed in Texas and how that influences the way that people see government, politics, and policy. Really, the focus here on providing a foundation uh, that helps all of us understand why we engage or don't engage uh, in, in the ways that we do and how important it is in understanding that to see how politics works, how government functions, how policy issues are resolved uh, through the way in which we use government. So in this second half of the show, I want to turn to a couple of other elements that are very important in understanding political culture in Texas. We The first part concluded with looking at these major elements uh, that, that talked about uh, small government and low taxes, individual freedom, a suspicion of, of power, uh, not just state power, but federal and and even beyond. And a lot of this comes out of that development of what we would call a, a Texan identity. Uh, some even refer to it as a type of what we'd say sub-nationalism. Okay? So when we say nationalism, that is our affinity to a, a nation it uh, it includes our patriotism it includes our uh, uh, our our love of the, the nation in which we live, in which we take our identity. And that Texan identity is, is so strong because of the development of political culture in the state and because of the, the history and the story and and even the myth. Uh, there's myths mixed in there and how they've been used over time to define uh, what Texas is. Uh, that all feeds into this Texan identity that has a a significant role in influencing the way that people see government and politics. And we talk about this when I teach this in class uh, in trying to help students recognize this. And I I want you to reflect on it for uh, just a, a moment here as we see how important this element is, because a lot of it goes back to that identity that comes out of the founding of the Republic of Texas uh, and the, then as we move later into the 1800s, post-Civil War, Reconstruction, Jim Crow era, where a lot of laws were put in place to try to disenfranchise uh, African-Americans in voting, and uh, have, but, but also to limit their economic opportunities uh, to put really some of the structure back in place that uh, uh, promoted segregation over against the changes that were made through the 14th and 15th Amendments to the Constitution. And so during this era was a, a time of trying to define uh, what was a Texan what was a, a Texan identity. And, and it will eventually be defined over against African Americans and over against Hispanics as well. Uh, now, it may be a little more challenging to believe now when we look at the diversity of the state, but there's still vestiges of this uh, uh, here because not everyone buys into uh, what we would say would be a Texan identity, one that, that goes back and looks at uh, the Alamo uh, and the fight for independence, in, in a, a way, as a founding story, and and then looks at carries that forward to look at the the size of Texas and the growth of Texas and its economic and political influence that has developed over time. All of this feeds into it in a way. I mean, even the shape of the state uh, itself is unique, and so there's all these elements uh, that factor in uh, to this identity that that creates and promotes the success of such things as uh, a slogan don't mess with texas or everything's bigger in texas if you know uh, uh, there there's so many different cultural expressions that have affirmed that identity but it's very very significant when it comes to politics and one of the ways that we see this is uh, uh, that people uh, many people accept this idea that there's a texan way of doing things and then there's every other way uh, and sometimes that leads to then a, a reticence to look at the way uh, people govern themselves in other states or even at the federal level or even on an international level, uh, because this this belief that what has developed in Texas is the way to do it. Uh, the, there's this kind of hallowed history of how things developed in this state around these key principles that we've talked about uh, that are focused on freedom, that are focused on limiting government, and that, that this is the way to do it and everyone else should follow Texas. Now, the challenge with that, and, and this is something we, we try to get into on this show on a regular basis, is that there are a number of areas where uh, we struggle as a state in addressing critical issues and concerns. We We are not a leader in the nation in many categories in uh, addressing some critical problems in education and public health. Uh, We've had significant challenges in a number of different areas. And and not to say that every state is going to be number one in every category here in terms of, of, and, and part of it goes to the criteria for evaluation. Uh, but we, the way we do things here means that the role that government has in addressing some of these kind of broader policy areas uh, and trying to address them in a significant way, uh, government just doesn't have the authority or the resources to do that. If you're going to limit government, if you're going to limit its its resources that it has, then it's going to, it's not going to be able to uh, adequately address uh, all the needs of a society. And, and again, that's, as we said in the first part of the show, that was not the intent uh, of the founders of this uh, state in thinking that government was the solution to everything. So we need to understand that. We need to understand that when we go into the policy arena and we try to seek solutions that do involve government. But part of the reason why we're focusing on this is that when we get into that arena, it's important to understand the political culture of the state. Leading uh, scholars on public policy really emphasize that policy never begins with a blank slate, okay? It's just not everybody sitting down in a room with, with no uh, perspective or backgrounds or anything like that and trying to come up with the best solution. Uh, policy uh, makers, uh, those who are in in the legislature, Uh, those who who implement policy, who carry out the decisions of government, uh, those who are impacted by policy changes, uh, they all have this uh, complex set of notions about what government is and what it should do. We talked about this early in the program today where we, we we, we emphasized here that this is an environment that we are in in which these decisions are made and an environment has a history, it has factors, it has a diversity, it has so many aspects to it that influence the way that people come into that environment or come into the process of making policy. Uh, so this is very critical uh, for us to understand, not just in terms of political culture uh, and a, a Texan identity, but also to what we call political socialization. So this is where I wanna go for uh, the, the the last part of the program here to give us a little bit of background in how all this really develops. Political socialization is a, a, a key term here in understanding the impact of political culture and how it is passed on from generation to generation. Uh, it, 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 exp- it tells us how people develop an understanding of their political culture, right? So we we grow up, we live in this culture, and how do we engage with it? And then how does that shape the way that we view government? Those that that follow, those that either move to this state or have lived here all their lives. So political socialization is is very important uh, because it it really emphasizes the what we call the political learning process. How do we learn about politics? How do we How do we learn to engage? What are the things that impact the way we think about the world around us? And then in which, uh, and how those influence our engagement uh, with uh, issues, political issues, with uh, political events, with people in politics. So political learning here is critical. It's a broad concept that encompasses both the active, passive, and formal and informal ways in which people mature politically. Thus, we are learning as a part of socialization, and political socialization then is a particular type of political learning in which we develop the attitudes, values, beliefs, opinions, and behaviors that are conducive to being a a engaged citizen. Now, learning, how do we learn? We learn from our parents. We learn from our extended family. We learn from our communities. We learn through education. Uh, We learn in our religious communities. We learn from media. Uh, We learn from our peers. I mean, these are all areas that influence in addition to other areas uh, that are what we call agents of socialization, what shapes these attitudes and beliefs and values. Uh, And that is where we live. It is our gender. It is our race. Uh, It it is our religion. Uh, It is our uh, uh, educational opportunities. Uh, It is our social and economic class. Uh, All of those things have a tremendous influence on shaping how we see the world around us. And it is through those avenues that then uh, a political learning occurs uh, and, and it's interpreted if you look at it this way too it's a very informal process now you might take civics a class in in school and learn how government functions and the different branches of government and so on but all of the rest of this is very very informal uh, in that it, it happens without a lot of structure other than what structures our lives uh, in general And so it's in this environment that as we grow up we, then develop the attitudes, values, beliefs, opinions, and behaviors uh, that are connected to the role that we see for government, our concern about contemporary issues that we think government has a role or does not have a role in addressing, and how we go about, in terms of our actions, trying to engage with government to achieve those outcomes. And those actions could be everything from voting for someone in an election to advocating with uh, an advocacy or lobbying group uh, to uh, promoting certain legislation, reaching out to our representatives and, and letting them hear your opinion, attending a town hall, running for office. I mean, there's just different avenues there in terms of actions that go from the least of voting, uh, all the way to actually being engaged in political office and being a decision maker. So what we see in Texas, and again, this is becoming more and more diverse as the state grows and as our urban areas change, as we are more diverse racially, uh, that this is happening to everyone in different ways. And in this process of socialization, Uh, You have people then coming into the realm of politics, having developed and having having developed their attitudes, values, beliefs and opinions uh, in very different ways and and becoming more and more diverse. If you look back over the history of the state, uh, you could say that uh, for much of, of that history, uh, these This original political culture that came with those Anglo immigrants, that traditional and individualistic subcultures had a significant amount of influence, and that very much dominated uh, state politics, but also the political culture. Uh, so that as young people grew up in this state, that was the culture that they engaged with it. If you are not a part of that um, of that of that part of society, if you were not Anglo, or if you were not tied into that, then government was not as much of a concern for you. I mean, there weren't those opportunities to engage, especially for a long time for African Americans, but even so for Hispanics in many parts of the state. Again, things that have changed significantly in the in the last century, but, but things that still aren't fully reflected, the diversity of the state fully reflected in uh, the way that we do government and politics uh, in the state so what we see now in our contemporary times and this is what's is very interesting about uh, Texas and uh, as a state and about politics in Texas is that you see this growing level of diversity with more people being engaged as as our state gets bigger in population more people being engaged in politics and bringing that those different uh, attitudes and beliefs and opinions into that political sphere. Now for another show we'll be to go back and talk about this transition between Texas being dominated by the Democratic Party for most of the 20th century to now being dominated by the Republican Party. But the fact that 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 the the discussion is out there about Texas turning purple, uh, the, that more, And more people are voting as Democrats, Uh, while not enough necessarily to change the short-term direction of the state, it's much more significant than it was uh, uh, 15, 20 years ago. So all of this factors into this changing of the political culture of the state, uh, where political socialization has happened in different ways for different people. And that's contributing to a greater political diversity within this environment of government and politics that we have in Texas. I think the one takeaway uh, from this discussion about political socialization and understanding this is that it's important to know that people do not always share uh, the same attitudes, values, and beliefs. And that is brought into that policy arena. It's brought into the space in which we have to make policy decisions that influence the way that we use government and the way that government serves the people. And so I always emphasize this was with my students in that that you need to understand that someone has not been socialized In the same way that you have. While there might be this dominant elements of political culture, uh, we can't just assume that everyone sees that the same way. And I think this is one of the challenges of contemporary politics is that that people aren't willing to understand doesn't mean you have to agree, but they're not willing to understand that someone has gone through a different process of socialization and thus has a uh, different set of attitudes, values, and beliefs, or varying set. That doesn't mean that they won't connect on some points. And of course, that's where we find compromise. That's where we find the ability in a legislative process uh, to move forward and to make decisions. So I think that's very critical for us to understand. And then broadly speaking, if we look at this in terms of political culture, it's important that we do more uh reading, that we do more engagement with understanding how this has developed in Texas. It tells us a lot about the way we do politics, about the way that we govern ourselves with a constitution, Uh, that is post-Reconstruction, that is from the the 19th century, that does reflect this very dominant political culture of that time. It tells us more about how we've come to the point we are today over the 20th century and how politics developed and how it is changing. It helps us to understand, to see those changes and the growing diversity uh, and, and then also, I think going forward, and I'll conclude with this, is that it helps us to see uh, how political culture works or the challenges it creates within the political process and within our governing of ourselves. Uh, one is this huge challenge of diversity. The more diverse we become, are we still able to hold to this process of the rule of law and working out our challenges and our conflicts, our political conflicts through the process of governing ourselves. Uh, But I think also on on another point, it it helps us to to then see uh, that political culture plays a very prominent role. It still does through political socialization that as people grow up and, and develop these attitudes and beliefs, they're going to bring those into the political arena as I stated previously, and those are going to influence the way in in which they engage with specific issues. The more we can understand that, the more we can work together to try to find uh, acceptable solutions, solutions to issues that we want government to engage with and we want government uh, to resolve. I hope if you found this helpful and interesting, there's so many other things. I'll I'll post some uh, resources online that will help connect Uh, with uh, some of the, I think, engaging type of articles and resources on political culture and to help you even do more, if you would like to, to understand this and how it influences government and politics in Texas today. Thank you for joining us. And we look forward to being back with you again next week, right here on KTRL 90.5 FM. That's On Politics with Eric Morrow. network podcast with production from me taylor welch and me carissa cole find more great shows by searching Tarleton radio network wherever you get your podcasts